Is your work attire causing a style fever? The cure is clear, my friend. The Pinktastic Scrubs and Accessories from Biscare. Their collaboration with the National Breast Cancer Foundation isn't just a fashion statement, my friend. It's a prescription for change. A portion of each sale supports the National Breast Cancer Foundation. BizCare is thrilled to announce that they're sponsoring this episode of the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Visit liamcaswell.com forward slash bizcare to find your nearest stockist. Remember, the best things in life are worth talking about. Talk to your friends, family, patients and colleagues about breast cancer prevention today. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. I'm so excited that everybody is here today. We have got a, an extra special guest, Michelle Mexted. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And my phone rings just as the podcast starts. How typical. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great start. I love it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Michelle before we dive in. And what I love about high performance nursing is getting to connect with clinicians and non-clinicians to help nurses build their careers. So um, today, Michelle is a non-clinician. We'll be upfront about that, but she's got decades of experience working with healthcare professionals. So let's dive in. Michelle is a recruiter with nearly two decades of recruitment experience in Australia and the UK. You might have noticed that Michelle sounds like she's Scottish, just like myself. <laughs> so we connected on that straight off the bat. Michelle has worked for many years in recruiting and management positions for the first and second largest recruitment agencies in the world, Ransat and Adeco. How lucky are we? And the founder and director, Michelle is currently the founder and director of Aesthetics Recruitment Australia, an agency specializing in aesthetics, recruiting clinical and non-clinical roles within the medical aesthetics industry. And that's what we're here to talk about today, because there's lots of people that are super interested in exploring aesthetics and building clinical and non-clinical careers in aesthetics. So we're going to drop all of the information. But before we do, tell us a little bit about you, Michelle, and your career up until this point. I know where this It's been a long career. I'm going to start to show my age now. No, that's a good um, point. So I, started, <laughs> so I started my recruitment career in 2014 in Glasgow, as you can tell by the crazy accent. So I started my career, um, I got made redundant from an advertising company that I was doing, selling job boards for monster.co.uk. Wow. And I walked into a that office and they basically offered me a job on the spot. And that started my career in recruitment. So I never planned to be a recruitment consultant. I kind of fell into the industry like, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first ever role was a high volume contact center role recruiting for large British brands. Mm-hmm. I actually relocated to Australia and transferred my job from Randstad to Australia and it'll be 15 years ago last year. And from that, I worked in many different roles across high volume, worked with every employer you can think of in Australia and launched aesthetics recruitment in, God, all the years. Launched aesthetics recruitment probably about three years ago and have been working in that space ever since. And it's a space I absolutely love working in and a great industry to be part of. Amazing. I love Sorry, that. Sorry, no. overview. <laughs> 
No, I love that so much. I'm so good. Just the application there of like walking into Vansad, I think you said, and just like be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Do you need me? You know, yeah. take that and run with it in your nursing career as well, for sure. And uh, get creative about how you get your next role 100%. So I'm getting like deviate a little bit here. You mentioned contact center, you know, these mass recruitment contact centers. We have a lot of grads that listen to this podcast. Hey grads. And one of the questions is always about how do you succeed in these mass recruitment group interview settings? What kind of tips or tricks would you offer having been in those rooms and, you know, managing those kind of centers in the past? So from a candidate perspective, from a candidate perspective, and maybe even like what are the recruiters or the panel, what are they actually looking for? Okay, excellent. So as a candidate who's in a group assessment center, some of the key things that are really, really important and get forgotten is, I guess, body language, eye contact, Mm -hmm. a smile, you know, being engaged, looking interested. But a massive part of it is the preparation that goes into Mm -hmm. I guess, getting to the interview. So making sure that you've really researched the company, you've researched the role, you've identified your key strengths and how they'll meet the, you know, selection criteria. So really doing your homework, preparing before you go into the interview, making sure you arrive early, having a coffee before, obviously having some mints, take the coffee smell away. <laughs> and basically being able to articulate exactly why that employer would want to hire you. From an employer's perspective, they're looking at what's in it for me. Why should I hire this person? What can this person bring to, you know, the world or as business or, you know, whatever, I guess the role may be. So from an employer perspective, they're looking for people who are reliable, who are flexible, who are passionate about the industry, who are, you know, lifelong learners. You know, people can keep up to date with industry trends and changes. But ultimately, that really, I guess, show that they want to be there and they want to be part mm. of the team. I think where a lot of people fall down is that they think what's in it for me and they identify, you know, I want I want to work less hours or the role I'm in doesn't, you know, I'm working night shift or, mm. and from an employer's perspective, they're really looking to hire someone to solve their problems and not as much what the candidate can offer if that makes sense so it's really just making sure that when you're selling yourself you're keeping the employer in mind and showing them and demonstrating how you can add value to their their business and within their team and how you can work with the people within i guess the wider organization yeah, that's that amazing. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that speaks to what I teach a lot on this podcast and in our coaching programs, this idea of like, when you go to interview, whether it's at an assessment center or it's in person, you are presenting an offer, like you are bundling yeah. your experience and you're presenting and I, I steal this from the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial world, but you're an, like, you want to present it in a way that it's irresistible. You know, it's like how Steve Jobs and Apple present the iPhone. You know, you present yourself in such a way that the panel feels silly saying no to you. (laughs) Like the panel, we need that person. How do we get them on the team? And I think that's how you stand out in those types of settings. I always find like people that wore like really bright things and like really showed their personality they always do that. Was that, is that being your yeah. experience as well? And that was something else I was going to say. Obviously, presentation is really important on how you present yourself. 
and someone, you know, turning up very, very well dressed to me is never a disadvantage in an interview. You know, grooming is really, really important. So, you know, never think that, I guess, by putting extra effort in that that's a bad thing because it's always a good thing and people can see the effort that you've put in. I'm so grateful. Yeah, that you say that, like, because so many people come to me and say, Liam, is it okay if I wear scrubs to my interview? And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) never, no, right, for so many reasons, because you're in clinical mode, you're nurse mode, you're not in interview mode, and then you just don't feel like, scrubs are comfortable, I get it, they're like pajamas, but you're you're not presenting your best self. When you dress up and you get your nice suit on, your nice dress on, whatever you're wearing, you just feel good, different, right? You just feel yeah. good. You embody that and the panel can feel that. And something else I do want to mention is, you know, now that we're in the days of Zooms, unfortunately, it's not my favourite thing to do, talk on video calls, but a lot mm-hmm. of interviews are on video call. And I've actually had people come on the video call in their pyjamas. Oh. And just because you're at home doesn't mean that you can wear what you wear at home. You still need to brush your hair and present, you know, well for the interview so yeah. just because you even if you've got your pajama buttons on the bottom as long as you're presenting <laughs> well on the top you know that's important as well and a lot of people miss that they think because they're on camera this i don't know yeah it's fascinating hey i can confirm that i definitely have pajama bottoms on right now <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> i love it so michelle tell us a little bit more about recruitment consultancy like what is a day let's start with what is recruitment consulting and what does a day in the life look like as a recruitment consultant okay so a recruitment consultant i guess is the connector between the company and the candidate so we're engaged to i guess ultimately find you know an employer will give us a brief of a candidate we're looking for and our job is to find someone that matches that brief. Mm. So in order to do that, we, as I say, as I mentioned before, we take a brief from the employer. We then advertise. We go out to different mediums. We headhunt, which means basically do advanced searches to find particular candidates. We reach out to candidates with an offering of a position and we receive applications. We screen those applications. We conduct video or telephone interviews. If we, we obviously ask a lot of questions, a lot of competency behavioral type questions and a lot of questions around goals, motivations, aspirations, dream roles, yeah. you know, what an, what someone's looking for out of an employer, what their long-term plans are, what you know, what they need to be successful in a role. And from that we then match that candidate to that brief. Yeah. So sometimes the candidate may not meet that brief and we will then work with them to find alternative employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if they do meet the brief, we would then present their information to an employer. So we present obviously a bit of a case as to why that employer should hire them. And then from there, we schedule the interview with the employer, negotiate all the offers on behalf of the candidate and negotiate on behalf of the employer, bring that all together organized start dates and then from that we I guess work with the candidates after they've been employed I guess to ensure that the brief that we've given and what the employer is delivering matches I guess what we discussed at the beginning of the process 
And then we follow their careers and see them flourish, which is the best part and why I recruit and why I love it so much and why I've done it for nearly 20 years. Most people would probably call me crazy because most people only last two years in the industry, maybe longer. You know, a lot of people leave early because it's not an easy, a lot of people think it's, you know, glamorous role, but it can be really challenging. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with a lot of moving parts. You know, we don't always have the right solution or candidates might take other positions or the employer might change their mind. There's lots of different things that can change. But yeah, our job is to connect with employers, represent their brands in a positive light and represent candidates as human beings Mm. and unique people that were there to support and help. And that's always been our mission. I love that so much. I think that in my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong based on your, on your years of experience, but I think that understanding and knowledge of recruitment consultancy in healthcare is pretty pretty low. I don't know. Like, I don't hear a lot of peers talking about, oh, you know, connected with this recruitment consultant and, like, I'm looking for a new role. I think we forget that there's this whole world out there of recruitment consultants in all different specialties that you can go to, that you can, you know, explore different options. And, you know, it's not like I just come and like overload Michelle with your applications. It's like aligned, you know, you're looking for a role and all of the things. But I think that in my experience, it's not something that's commonly talked about. I couldn't agree more. And what I've found is there's a lot of nurses that have great talents. And when you put a position in front of them, and you really believe that they're suitable for that role and could overachieve in that role. And they're like, no, no, I couldn't do that role. Mm. And I've been in a situation where I've been fortunate enough to put people in like nurse manager roles and things like that. And then then they come back to me and say, Michelle, thank you so much for actually seeing the strengths that I had mm. and pushing me in that direction to actually go for that position because it's my dream role. And if I had to apply for that role myself, I wouldn't have applied for it because I don't feel like, you know, I have the skills, but now I'm in the role, I can actually see that the skills that I've got are a great fit for the role. And it's took me on a bit of a trajectory of, you know, building that career and, and, you know, moving into different roles and actually progressing. Mm. Uh, So it's good to work with a recruiter because sometimes a lot of people struggle to actually be able to articulate their own strengths. Yeah. Or the, you know, if someone actually articulates that to them, to them and says, from what you're telling me, this is what I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of brings on, ignites like different passions and takes them in different directions. And that's one of the things I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, so, I always- what I do. And it's a bit like yourself and your career coaching. Like you see things in people they don't necessarily see in themselves. Cause people can be quite humble yeah. in their own strengths. Yeah. And I think that also... You know, we're talking to a bunch of high-performing nurses that are listening. I think sometimes as high performers, we there's something in us that knows that we're a high performer, but we also feel like an, an underperformer or a low performer yeah. at the same breath. And I think that our job, you know, everybody that you have contact with in your career is like to wake up a little part of you, I believe, you know, so I love that, like that recruitment consultancy, like kind of like triggers something and we can always everybody listening I'm sure you're really awesome at seeing everybody else's strengths but how often do you stop and recognize and acknowledge your own strengths that is a learned behavior that you need to practice as a clinician because if we don't practice that you know we end up in jobs where we burn out and we hate our lives right like that's that's the end result just to keep it simple so I love that I love the synergy between what you do and what we offer as well and that like let us help you see your strengths let us bust all the myths that you think are stopping you from getting to your goal and let's just make it happen. 
It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The other thing as well is, is that obviously we work in this space every day, so we know the market, we know what the salary guides are, we know what employers are paying. We can guide and advise in regards to, you know, maybe you should be asking for 5K more or 10K more, or maybe you should be leaning in this space or that space. So it really just gets people thinking a little bit more about what they should be asking for. And what we find quite often is there's no clear pathway in our, in our industry. So a lot of people don't know where to begin to start their career. Um, yeah. And they have a lot of roadblocks. Um, and, you know, they get frustrated because they're like, how do I actually get into the industry? You know, what do I do? And there's not a lot of information out there. There's nothing really online to kind of guide them. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk to somebody, I guess, that sits in that space every day, they can, you know, can't solve every problem, but can give you some guidance. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time I find that that really kind of helps. Yeah. And I think that that's global across nursing. I think we think yeah. there are pathways in some other specialties. But there really aren't. There are just a bunch of made-up rules that somebody has yeah. decided to make a rule. Like, you know, yeah. after three years, we will respect you as a clinician. I was just talking about this on Facebook today about respect. Like, why does respect need to be earned? I have a polarizing view. I'm like, maybe we should just, like, all be 100% respected at all times. Yes. Right? And, uh, like, we just come into the industry respected. and We respect each other. It's fascinating. But we won't go down that rabbit hole. I want to keep talking about recruitment consultancy. So... What so you've talked about recruitment consultancy and what a day in the life looks like? Clinicians can be recruitment consultants, right? If there's a certain person that's listening to this and they're thinking, Oh, that sounds really interesting, what kind of qualities does like a solid recruitment consultant possess? I can't speak today. It's funny, but it's it's really some of it is real basics. So communication, mm-hmm. uh, being able to listen. Being able to people and understand people and understand and ask the right questions. So questioning is really, really important. Mm. Um, being able to delve into where someone's at, what they're looking for, what's important to them, what they're looking to achieve. Um, and really sometimes being quite honest and if you believe a path that they're going down isn't the right path, being able to work with them and work through that. Mm. Um but you also need to be really good at written communication. Like you're writing a lot of ads. Sales is a big part of it. Yeah. Being able to kind of really sell something to someone and negotiation skills. So there's actually quite a lot to it and being able to be a good recruiter and resilience, bounce back ability because things go wrong quite often and it can, <laughs> it can be quite a stressful job. Yeah. And if you're working for an agency as well in the early days, like sales targets, you know, you've got KPIs, sales targets, you, you, it's a 360 role. So you're doing administration, you're doing the sales, you're doing, you know, the dealing with the employer, you're dealing with the candidates. So you're having to juggle a lot of balls. Yeah. So organizations are really, really important as well. But yeah, there's probably a million other things, but I guess that's the key things. And one thing that I have always done, and I think it's really, really important, is we look in at the basics and mastering the basics. Mm-hmm. So I still watch podcasts, I still read books, I still do lots of personal development, I still keep up to date with the job market, yeah. I look, I read articles on the industry nearly daily, so I immerse myself, I still watch things on how to write a good job ad, and I've been writing job ads for 20 years, because the market changes all the time. Yeah. And I hate being stagnant. 
and just mm-hmm. doing the same thing. I like to reinvent what I do. And I think that's really important and probably what's kept me in the industry as well. It's mm-hmm. because you can keep on upskilling and educating yourself all the time. And I think that's really, really important in any job that you work in. Master the basics and keep on mastering them. And when you think they've mastered it, keep on mastering it a little mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, because, you know, the, the job market changes, every industry changes. Obviously, we've had the C word that we've had, we've gone through and a lot of changes have happened there and we're now more online and things like that. So I think a great recruiter will master the basics and keep on coming back for more and still enjoy learning the same yeah. things over and over and over again, but just maybe seeing it a little bit different every time that they master something new. Yeah, I love all of that. And I think that everything you described there, I was like, oh, that's a nurse. Oh, that like totally. It's totally like you totally do it. Recruitment consultants come from all different backgrounds. Hey, it's like, do you have yeah. that pool? Do you want to pair of people? Do you think that would be interesting? I think some people listening might be like, oh, sales marketing, you know, oh, that's a bit scary. But you've got to remember you you identify these skill gaps and then you work towards them, right? It doesn't mean you need to be yeah. amazing at sales overnight. It's a process. And what you just said there is literally like one of our most downloaded episodes on this podcast, which is being basic makes you advance. Not, not yeah. basic, but being good at the basics. Don't be basic. Yeah. <laughs> be good at the <laughs> basics makes you advanced. And we talk about that in yeah. clinical world all the time, right? Because we all want to jump to like, resuscitating patients and put it like you know managing central lines and all of the things but we're forgetting that like brushing somebody's hair is just an important and cleaning their teeth and those little things so i love that you mentioned that there so good so let's talk a little bit about aesthetics and cosmetics and that industry you've been in this industry for a couple of years three years now and you love it and we have had another episode which will have been published at this point in time when this comes live so go and check that out as well if you're interested with lorna all things aesthetic nursing from a nurse's perspective so give us a recruitment consulting perspective what is going on in aesthetics it looks from the outside looking in like it's booming and that there's lots of growth and lots of things happening so give us a lowdown. Great. And I love that you've started on that because that's a lot of people believe it's booming. And you know, the predictions up yeah. to a certain year, yes, that it is booming, but obviously there is seasons and things change. So if I give you a little bit of a journey as to when I came into the industry and where mm. we are now, it might kind of give you an idea of where the market's sitting. So when I came into the industry, it was pre-COVID, probably, yeah, pre-COVID, just before COVID. And the industry was obviously a little bit fire because a lot of the clinics were closed. They couldn't open because of COVID. And there was some states open, so there was some roles here and there when the states were opening. And there was an increase in volume. And the reason for the increase in volume was when COVID hit, everyone was on Zoom. And they were looking at themselves and they were saying, mm. I need some injecting done. But it, it was becoming more and more accept, like acceptable or more and more popular because social media started to really mm. showcase. Like when I was younger, throughout my age, when I was younger, it was a very hidden thing that people people didn't talk about it. People would mm. get it done and they would, you know, no one would really know who had got it done. And it was very private and yeah. it was probably... You know, people had lots of money that would delve into it and stuff like that. It was, it was less accessible. Whereas coming to that kind of fast COVID time, there was an increase of 845% in lip injections alone. Wow. 
when clinics opened back up. So what happened was when the clinic closed and then opened, there was a mass appointment booking. You know, everyone was getting their appointments booked in because they were looking at themselves on Zoom. They had no, they weren't spending their money on holidays, so they had accessible income. And it was, you know, it was becoming more and more popular and obviously accessible cost-wise. And people were getting done from a younger age and there was much more consciousness around aging. Mm. And so when obviously everything started to open back up with the 845% increase just in lip injections alone, the industry boomed. And what happened was, you know, everyone was recruiting and, you know, there was so much excitement, back-to-back appointments, something like that, and lots of companies were hiring. And with cosmetic injecting, it is a very young industry, so it's not a, it's quite a small industry, it's quite young. So there isn't a mass of nurses who have mm-hmm. kind of, you know, lots and lots of years of experience due to that. You do have some really experienced injectors that have been doing it for 10, 15 years, but that's very, very rare in Australia. And in some states, it's been more, I guess, prominent than others, and some states are further behind, for instance, WA. So after the appointments boomed, all the appointments were booked in, everybody was hiring and there wasn't enough experienced nurses. So what was happening was companies were then taking people that had done like a, an introductory course or a graduate diploma or something like that because they couldn't get someone experienced so they were willing to train the nurses up. And because in COVID, a lot of people, you'll probably be able to explain this better than me, but a lot of nurses really got burnt out and didn't want to work in the hospitals anymore. And a lot of people started to come across cosmetic injecting and they could see that Rather than dealing with sick people, you're helping people. Mm. And it's better hours, like you're not working shit work. Yeah. And they're like, well, I love beauty. I look after myself. It's something that I really enjoy. I've had bad skin in my past or whatever their story may be. I think that's a, this is an industry I could really transition into. So everybody started to go and do graduate diplomas, do courses. You know, we're very excited and passionate about getting into the industry. And then October last year hit. And October, from October last year, what we found is because of the increase of cost of living, because of inflation, mm. less people are leaving their jobs. So just to give you an example, so last year, pre-October, an average of 20 to 25% of people globally were leaving their jobs mm. month on month. And companies were growing on an average of maybe 10 to 20%. So with that, it then created lots of open opportunities for people to apply for jobs. So there was more jobs and then there was candidates. Yeah. And then October hit and it seemed to go the other way. So less people were, people were spreading their appointments out, less people were getting treatments done and companies were declining revenue. And yeah. pe- because there was less jobs because of that, less people were leaving their jobs. So five less than 5% globally at the moment are leaving their jobs. And companies, some are, are, grow- are declining at 50% of their revenue. Wow. So when you look at that compared to a 20 25% increase people leaving and 10 to 20% growth yeah. to a decline in a 5% growth, you need those two things to change in order to create jobs. Yeah. And when they don't change, 
you're almost in a situation where there's not a lot of jobs and there's actually more candidates because those, and then the other challenge is those experienced nurses are taking the jobs that are with less than 5% of people leaving. So then it's unfortunately creating a situation where more and more people are going through the courses mm-hmm. and doing their graduate diploma and there's less positions at the end of it. Right. And then from an employer's perspective, it's very, very expensive to train a new graduate nurse because it takes probably a six to 12 month mm. period to get that nurse to an advanced injector level. Yeah. And in the meantime, that's revenue they're losing and training they're having to pay and there's no guarantee the nurse will stay and things like that. So that's why the preference is to hire a nurse with two, two years plus experience because mm. they can hit the ground running. They can do the more advanced treatments and they can, I guess, assist with the revenue quicker for that business. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is, is that when a nurse comes from a medical environment, they're entering a retail environment. So yeah. it does become, you were mentioning sales earlier, it does become about sales. It does come about, you know, revenue. That's what the, employ- the employer is pushing them for because... And, and they need paying clients, whereas a hospital's funded, you can go and do your job and everything's funding you're paid. Mm-hmm. A retail, like a aesthetic environment, as a retail environment, you have paying customers. So that's the other challenge that there is a real disconnect. So at the moment in the market, what we're finding is, is a lot of nurses are calling and asking, how can I get into the industry? I've been applying, I'm finding it really difficult. Everybody's looking for experience. And the big challenge is, is that you need those opportunities to be created mm. in order for the positions to be there. So then the more vacancies there is, the more chance there is to enter the industry. The less vacancies there is, the more challenging it is. Mm. So you're, you, you, you live in two markets. You live in a candidate-rich market, a job-poor market, or you live in a job-rich market and a candidate-poor market. Mm. And the challenge is, and that's one of the things, it's the biggest challenge about being in recruitment, as you never get both together, it's <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> so I hope that can explain a little bit about the aesthetics industry, where it is and, and where we're sitting now. I do I do believe in 2024 we will start to see a bit of a, an increase. And mm-hmm. I do think that some nurses that have done the courses or don't have experience, there is still positions there. It's just their legs. And it's more competitive. So there are definitely positions there. And if you can differentiate yourself and you can, I guess, uh, get mentoring, do the courses and, you know, lots of other things, there is an opportunity to enter the industry. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit more challenging because we're in, uh, I guess, a less busier market. Yeah, yeah. I love how you described how the, the industry is going at the moment because I see a lot, and you probably see them online, a lot of, comments on Facebook and stuff where people are like, I don't understand, you know, I'm a grad, like I've done the course, I've done this, and why doesn't anybody want to take me? And it gives context, right? And it makes complete logical business sense because it's a business. It's not a hospital. Hospital is still a business, Mm -hmm. but, you know, hospital is kind of more like goodwill, government funded. Like this is, like you said, I love that differentiation. It's retail and the return on investment in hiring you as a graduate nurse whether you like it or not, might be 12 months. And that to an employer yeah. is lost revenue. I love that you make that differentiate differentiation because it 
it applies not only in that, it also applies in the private sector and private hospital settings as well, potentially. Even in public, yeah. but it's just less considered because it's a public entity, right? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so much to unpack there. But I'm curious about what you think differentiates people when they are coming in because you said like they're getting their courses obviously there's an imbalance in the market so that can balance itself out but what could people be doing <clears throat> to really set themselves apart from other people it's kind of like what i talk about like the irresistible offer like really presenting yourself as this package the solution ready to rock and roll what's your take on that yeah. based on your experience so there's a there's a few separate points, and I think one of them is really understanding your why. As like sounds cheesy, right? But really understanding why you want to be a cosmetic injector. Because I speak to hundreds of candidates, and they really struggle to articulate why they want to be in the industry and why they think they would be a good cosmetic injector, and what how they, what they could offer and again it's putting yourself in the employer's shoes mm. and understanding from an employer's perspective what they need from you in order for them to be successful because they're hiring a person to solve their problem right. uh, and they ultimately yeah 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 so being able to articulate that and have a story behind it and not just oh well i want to make people feel great because that's the line i get from everyone yeah. Uh, even if it's like sometimes, you know, not everybody's got bad skin and that's not the reason that they come into the industry, but you do have some people that have suffered with bad skin their whole life and have had the journey and have tried lots of different things and, you know, or it could be other medical issues. Injecting so advanced now, does so many different things, but yeah, being able to really talk about why you want to be in the industry and what you're actually doing to be part of the industry, how you're educating yourself, what influencers you're following, who you've connected with, what conferences you've gone to, you know, people that you've approached to get mentoring from or you've shadowed, mm. courses that you've researched, courses that you've gone on to, going into clinics and actually, you know, introducing yourself and differentiating yourself that way because I think it takes a lot of courage mm. to actually, and when people call me, that's why I take time and I'll talk them through, you know, exactly, you know, my thoughts are, you know, try and help them in any way I can and guide them in, you know, any direction that I can. But actually going into clinics and introducing yourself and speaking to people, there is some clinics out there nationally that will take nurses on and train them up. Amazing. with those opportunities there is loopholes mm. and I think some people are inflexible to those loopholes i.e they want you to sign a contract for 12 months or two years the reason that they want that is because it's so expensive to train a nurse and it's a big investment in their part and then if you leave and they have to train someone else again it's a massive investment and a big loss so it's a bit of a risk and some people just don't want to make that commitment or the other thing is like as a new cosmetic injector, employers want you to be flexible. Mm. They don't want you to say, oh, well, I'm available two days a week. I can do a couple of hours in the evening, stuff like that. Because ultimately, really, three days a week is your optimum time to be able to be trained as an injector. Anything less than that and you're mm. you're out too much. It takes too long on board you. So employers are really looking for a minimum of two days as a cosmetic injector you know, late in the week's really, really important. So working late night Thursdays, Saturdays, and some people aren't prepared to do that. They yeah. don't want to work every weekend. So being prepared initially to take 
some job conditions you don't want to take because you're so passionate about you, you really want to get in that you're going to make that commitment to gain mm-hmm. that experience. That's really important. The other point that I should mention is, and I guess is quite difficult, it's if you've been in the hospital environment or worked in any other area, medical, and you're used to shift work and you're used to really good pay rates and, you know, uh, reloading and all the different, I guess, I, I don't know the ins and outs of what mm-hmm. nurses get paid, but you'll probably be able to fill that in for me. But, you know, being, you need to take a step back to take a step forward. And a new cosmetic injector could be anything from 32 to $35 per hour plus commission. So you're really going backwards. Yeah. And it isn't, and the other thing as well is it isn't an influencer kind of Instagram worthy type position. It's hard work. You're on your feet. There's lots of learning. There's risk that comes with it. Again, it's a retail environment. So you've got, mm-hmm. sometimes got KPIs and sales targets to meet. And the other challenge as well is that you're in a non-clinical environment. So the people that you work with don't see things the way you see it. There is a disconnect. Because they're not, they don't have a, you know, a degree in nursing. They they mm. might be a beauty therapist or a clinic manager. Their area of specialization is different. So sometimes trying, there is a disconnect because they're, mm. you know, for instance, a clinic manager's got a sales target that they need to meet. Whereas a nurse, they focus as the patient and, you know, making sure that they're safe and everything like that. Sometimes that can be difficult to navigate. Because you're speaking two different languages, not that you don't respect each other's language, it's just very different. Yeah. Oh my God, so much value there for everybody. Like, I'm just thinking if I was in, if I if I'd just done the certificate and I was like, why am I not getting a job? What you just said there is like gold. It's such gold. And I think that just to loop it back up, I think that you started with your reason why and everything you just mentioned there comes back to your why, right? Like from a coaching perspective, it's like if your why is strong enough and it's a compelling reason why you're doing something, not just I like to help people make them feel better, then all of those things become easier to navigate, right? Because you reconnect back to your why. Sure, the the manager's got a sales target. My why is to build a career where I can eventually build my own clinic, right? So it's valuable for me to learn the sales management approach. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And I think that's why we have global challenges in healthcare because we don't have a strong why. We literally, I ask the same question of people. Why why do you want this job? Well, I just like nursing. I like being a nurse. And that's beautiful and lovely. (laughs) The three million other people that are interviewing also just like being a nurse and love helping people. So what makes you different? And I think what you touched on there is it's the storytelling, it's the connecting, it's making the panel feel something, it's telling them, uh, speaking the language of the cosmetic industry, dropping names that maybe you've connected with, right, just so that they can pull the pieces together, so you can build that personal brand, right, it's again, it's that irresistible offer. If you were looking from a recruiter's perspective, and you've got two candidates and one just says, my why is just to, you know, help people. And the other is like, you know, I struggled with my skin for 10 years and I had my first cosmetic injection. And from there, like, X, Y, and Z happened. Yeah. Like, it's just powerful on the receiving end, hey. So I love it. And that's something that I do want to touch on that comes up a lot and is a really good tip for people who are interviewing for cosmetic injecting positions is to be very careful about your long-term career. 
mm. and discussing that you do want to have your own business because that is the first thing that's going to put an employer off hiring you because they're thinking, well, this person's going to come into my business, they're going to get all the training and they're going to go and set up their own business and they're going to take all my clients with them. Yeah. Because the industry is very about, you know, it's very people focused. So usually if, for instance, someone likes their nurse, they're going to follow the nurse. So that's another thing that employers, quite often we've had to decline candidates because their motivations, and it's great yeah. to have that motivation. I was definitely 100% let that be your goal. I mean, mm-hmm. so excited for you and go for it. But you need to think about the employer and where you are in your career now and not yeah. frying employers off by saying, I want my own business because they just see it as you're using them as a kind of path where you get what you want. Yeah, such a good point. And I think to add to what you said earlier about the pay rates, you know, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, stuff that I'm not doing that. But, you know, sometimes you have to take a job to, to learn instead yeah. of earn, right? Sometimes you have yeah. to take a cut to learn for a period of time. And you can have that motivation that you're going to build a business in the future, for sure. Just don't tell me. Yeah. And then from there... You then, from there, you know, you start earning the more skills. And once you've closed that skill gap between being a new grad cosmetic injector and having all of the, like, all of the stuff that you absorb in that environment, you could, not everybody will, but you could mm-hmm. go do your own thing, right? Or you could just yeah. become a specialist in the industry and keep yeah. I love that. Definitely. Stuff. I, I, I agree. And, like, with that pay rate that they first come in to receive, what a lot of people do is they balance it out so a lot of people we place, they'll do three days cosmetic injecting, they'll do two days or three days in the hospital so then, that they can transition yeah. their career in. Yeah. And it means that they're not taking like a full-time pay, pay cut and they can build their clientele and they can build their experience and then they can increase the days as their money increases because within cosmetic injecting, one of the big benefits is that they do pay commission. So your pay rate may be lower, but once you build your clientele, your commission can actually mean that you're earning double what you would earn at the hospital. But unfortunately, it's just that risk that you take initially to build your clientele. Mm. But you can be earning a lot more. You could be in, you could be on kind of 16 hour or 18 hour plus a commission, something like that, as you become more experienced. But it's just that it does take time to get to that point. Yeah, I have and like. You do have that lifestyle difference that you're not having work shift, work night shifts, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's that short term pain for long term gain. Hey, I was just yeah. about to say, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, there's the scope for uncapped potential income depending on the path that you take, right? Like, yeah. and that's one thing that limits people in the hospital is you can get to a point where, like, you get to director of nursing or CEO, like, who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you make 250 a year and you take that home yeah. or whatever else you get. And that's amazing. But it's it's there, right? Like in that set of that you mentioned that so much time. And then there's business owners, there's people who there's a lot of nurses who open their own franchises mm. or open their own business who are really highly successful and making over a million dollars a year as a cosmetic wow. injector boom. with a small clinic. So yeah, boom. <laughs> million dollar <laughs> nurse. <laughs> and I think she she's probably the nurse I'm thinking about is probably in she'd be under thirty, you know quite young but just a really talented injector and people just yeah go here because she's so talented and they just love the results she gets yeah i love hearing stories like that because i love helping people see what's possible in their career like we are so we've got our blinders on and we just think how like and you know you'll see it online oh nurses can't make a lot of money you can 
<laughs> you can do yeah. whatever you want. You can make your money through, you know, 50 different, like 5 million different routes. It's totally possible. I love that you brought that up. So tell us more about aesthetic recruitment. You kind of touched on some of the things, but tell us more about your company, who you help, because I know you help clinical and non-clinical. And we have people here that are like non-clinical and clinical. Tell us all the things and how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Okay, right. So Aesthetic Recruitment Australia, we are obviously specialists within the aesthetics industry, but we do work with like equipment suppliers to the industry. So some some of the roles we recruit for. We do a lot within the cosmetic injective industry. So cosmetic nurses, cosmetic doctors, we place a lot of graduates into cosmetic injecting roles, training roles. We place nurse practitioners, but we then place clinic managers, beauty therapists, dermotherapists, sales you know, operations, sales, administration, and we work within, you know, body contouring, anti-aging, you know, like, you know, any kind of aesthetics type business, doctor night clinics, we work with surgeons. So yeah, any kind of role within that industry. And we work with employers and source, you know, lots of different rules. Yeah. I don't know any questions on that, but have I covered that? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Like it just gives people an idea of the breadth of work in that space that's available. Yeah. Right. So do you see you mentioned nurse practitioners, doctors, nurses. Do you see enrolled nurses? Is there scope for enrolled nurses within aesthetics? Okay. That's a great question to ask. So there used to be within the industry, a lot more ABNs and EENs, but there was a change in regulations with ACFA. And basically an EN needs full supervision and it needs to be on-site supervision. So a lot of our employers won't hire an EN or an EEN. They'll only hire an RN with a current RAF for registration. To To become a cosmetic nurse, you don't have to have a certificate. You just need to be an RN with a after registration Ooh, that's a good point <laughs> that's a yeah. really good point to just point out there yeah yeah so ens ens there, there potentially is i would hope not but there potentially is still some ens and ens out there doing injecting who are being who are being supervised but yeah big the changes a lot of employers unfortunately can't hire ens or ens and our briefs generally are focused on ARIANs. So like I was saying, you don't need to have like a, for instance, if you do a graduate diploma, it doesn't mean that you are any closer to becoming a cosmetic injector. It just means that you've got the practical knowledge, the, you know, practical and theory to understand the industry a little bit further, but you don't need that to be an injector. So you could be an RN that could go straight into the industry without yeah. any training or any courses or anything like that. I mean, that's so good. I can't believe it took us to the end. I should have asked that question first up because everybody that's listing are certificate collectors. We love collecting our certificates to prove that we can do something. So you heard it here first. Yeah, you so could. They could do the foundation and the advanced injecting courses. There are lots out there. There's lots of mentoring courses. Yeah, there's the graduate diploma. Like I say, it's good for practical and theory. You know, the theory includes that knowledge. But yeah, it's not a necessity. And obviously, just to speak to this point, that if you have it, it's an added bonus and it will make you more employable, potentially. Yes. we would probably yes. advise, yeah. But it is a big investment, so really think about it before you go and, do, you know, you go and do a course and make sure that you've done uh, as much as you can in every other area. 
to back up. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And uh, I was going to say something there about, oh, you triggered something. It's like, <laughs> must not be important. It's all good. <laughs> so if somebody wants, somebody wants to explore cosmetic, oh, I was going to say, that's why your why is so important. Before you spend that yeah. money, identify your why before you spend that money. Because it's it sounds like it's a challenging path. Life is 50-50, 50% good, 50% not so great. It yeah. all, it's all going to have its ebbs and flows. But if you've got a strong, compelling why, it will get you through those dark days and move you towards your goal, for sure. And then you <laughs> make it feel less worried about dropping 10K, 20K, whatever you're going to spend on a course, for sure, yeah. with no guaranteed outcome pain. So... Tell us where everybody can come and find you, where they can connect with you. If somebody is interested in exploring a cosmetic role and they're dead serious about it and <laughs> they've got a clear why, tell us where they can come find you. Yeah, definitely can tell you that. So you can find Aesthetics Recruitment on the website. So aestheticsrecruitmentaustralia.com.au. We do have a jobs board on there and there's a part that you can register your resume to be part of our mailing. So very vacancies are released that meet your criteria and you, you get job alerts and things like that. Mm. There's also an article on our website around how you become a how you differentiate yourself and become a cosmetic nurse. So that might be something else worth looking at. We have Instagram, so just look for aesthetic recruitment share. Yeah, we've got LinkedIn, we've got Facebook. And if someone wants to speak to us directly, they can email info at aestheticsrecruitmentaustralia.com.au and we'll get back to you or contact us via the contact details on our website. Amazing. I'm sure you're going to have lots of inquiries. I'm sure I get enough already. But it's so good. And even if you are, you know, I'm not not putting Michelle on the spot here. Like, even if you are just like on the fence and you're like, you know, there's so many resources. Michelle's there. Lorna is there from the Aesthetic Atelier. You know, come talk to me and I'll put your point in the right direction. It's not my niche specialty, but how good to know that there's so much help out there, so much support. And how good like is recruitment and helping people land their green jobs. I love that you do that. Thank you for doing this work. It's so good to connect with you. I'm sure... You'll be back in the podcast at some point in the future. All the links that Michelle mentioned there and contact details will be in the show notes and on our website at liamcaswell.com. Michelle, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's actually my first podcast. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you've been amazing. I've only done it because it's you, Liam. And it's a fellow Scots that could say no. (laughs) Kindred spirits, hey, kindred spirits. No, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm sure you took so much away from this. Whether or not you want to be an aesthetic nurse, I'm sure there's something you can take and apply to your current job, search, your future job search. Or maybe you want to get in touch with a recruitment consultant for the first time. Who knows? Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will chat to you all soon. Stay safe, stay forever curious, and we'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I'm so privileged that you spent your time with us here today. Hey, can I ask a favour? If you know someone that would benefit from this podcast episode, please share it with them. The more you share, the more we get in front of amazing nurses and we're able to help them see that nursing on their terms across their career is totally possible for them. So I'd love if you could do that. Now, I will see you in the next episode next week. Until then, let's make this year the year that you nurse on your terms. Are you ready? Let's do it.